0: and welcome to this week's episode of the Online Warriors Podcast. Before we dive into the news, we have a very special guest with us today, Tyson Butler Boshma, creative director and one of the founders of Toybox Game Studios, which is the studio behind the upcoming indie game about a combat wombat, Hollow Hero. So before we dive into Hollow Hero, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you personally got your start into game development?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, hi everyone. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so yeah, my name's Tyson, creative director at Toybox. I've been a professional game developer now for about 10 years. And during that time, I've worked on a, a slew of different projects, uh, ranging from work on like Netflix original animated series. Uh, I did some work on Fortnite at one point as part of the Halloween event last year. And a whole slew of like tiny little games and stuff like that that I've worked on, um, as well as a like Superman mod that went super viral at the start of the year that was in the Matrix Awakens demo and just, and just fun little stuff like that. And then working with my team directly as well. So we've been working at Toybox for uh, a little while now in the development of the game that we're, that we're working on. But for me personally, getting my start in game development, my favorite game series is Halo. So I knew uh, I was playing that and the third game had just come out in around 2007 and just gotten to the end of the campaign and it's that beautiful moment where like, you know, you're racing across the Halo ring as it's getting destroyed Mm -hmm. and all all the music was flowing and everything was getting like super awesome and you're like super pumped up and everything's just working. And then I mean spoilers but it's been 15 years <laughs> yeah, that's now. but anyway um yeah you get to that point where like yeah like they, they crash the warthog into the into the frigate um, and there's that beautiful moment where the first time in game canon where Cortana basically mentions the Master Chief's actual name and she's like it's been an honor serving with you John it's just this perfect crescendo And like, even just now thinking about it, I get goosebumps, right? I'm like, ah, it's so good. Just like the whole combination of that trilogy. And in that moment, I had this real like epiphany where I was like, I want to make games. Like, I want to recreate this feeling for someone else. I'd always known A bit that I was Like a creative person But it was in that Moment that I was like This is absolutely What I'm gonna do And I was in like Grade 9 at the time And all of my focus Kind of shifted towards Preparing myself For game development And going to university And stuff like that I remember telling My parents about it And like they You know Within their rights Questioned it a little bit I mean to be fair Like two weeks before I had this epiphany I wanted to be like A professional WWE wrestler So (laughs) Nice (laughs) So you know I was was going through My phases and stuff, but yeah, something just like really clicked for me in that moment. And yeah, from that point forward, um, all of my focus was on like, you know, creative writing, mathematics for programming side of things, um, you know, computer graphics, uh, art in general, and just different things like that. And then, yeah, uh, basically the second I finished school, so I grew up in Tasmania, which is a little triangle at the bottom of Australia. Uh, It's like a little island. It's technically a state of Australia, but it often gets missed on the map. And there's basically, at the time, was zero game development industry there. It's growing now, which is great, but there wasn't any there. So I moved to Melbourne, which is basically the main games hub in Australia. Uh, And I went there to do university. Fast-tracked a bachelor's degree in interactive entertainment, majoring in games design, uh, which, you know, will be important to come back to because this is also where I met my current Toybox team. So did that and then after that I moved on and did a diploma in information technology, a graduate diploma in creative media and a master's degree in games interactivity and animation. And I think I'd like to do my PhD one day, but I'll figure that out later. But obviously wow. I have a huge <laughs> I have a huge passion for like academia and stuff as well, but obviously the development of games is what I'm really really passionate about. And yeah, that's kind of how I got started and then from there I've just uh, kept working my way up and working on bigger and better projects. On, on as part of my work that I do here. So, you know, Toybox is awesome, but that is like passion, passion and love at this point. So mm-hmm. in order to pay the bills, I also work with a game studio here in Melbourne called Grease Monkey Games, and they specialize in motorsport games, like drifting games and stuff like that. It's really, really okay. dope. Yeah, and yeah, just constantly working on like really, really awesome stuff. So, yeah. And Perfect that's why club, you don't have
0: time for your WWE career between... <laughs>
1: that's right. Days. You know, I, I try and hit the gym, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm not committed enough to it. I try <laughs> to do like, I try to do a fly, a fly, yeah a flying frog splash off the top ropes, but I just hurt myself every time I do it. So <laughs> clear, clearly wasn't the career for me, but that's all right. I found my calling in games anyway, so I can live out my fantasy that way.
2: <laughs> so, you know, I always find origin stories and stuff like it to be really inspiring and interesting. And, you know, you mentioned that you met everybody on... On the, your toy box games team in university, yeah. can you kind of tell us a little bit about how the studio came together and you know how that team kind of organically formed?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So we all kind of we've all got a similar vibe, which is like we're very passionate about like the games that we like. So a lot of the a lot of the team like World of Warcraft. We're big fans of like God of War, like I'm you know Halo and stuff like that. But in general, the the linking factor was that we all have a deep passion for like high quality games that tell really like story rich sort mm-hmm. of you know stories um like really in depth lore and all that kind of stuff and just expansive universes you know the mass effects the the elder scrolls different stuff oh, yeah. like that. so yeah we like we naturally gravitated to each other in university and so that was like the f- so the seven of us is core that was the first five of us we actually met through university Three of us were doing animation. The other two of us, myself included, was doing game design. Uh, and it basically, you know, we'd worked on separate projects and stuff as part of our curriculum. Uh, but we got to the end of the course and part of it required us to basically do six months developing a game as part of our final project. At the time, everyone was using Unity because that was what was getting pushed hard. But for us, we, we were way more interested in what could be achieved with UDK, which was the Unreal Development Kit or Unreal Free. At the time, so that was yeah. We're up to Unreal Engine five now, so you know that was that was a long time ago. It's um, kind of a-
2: <clears throat> ahead of the curve on that
1: one. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so it was. It was basically a glorified Unreal Tournament modding kit, but we knew that we kind of wanted to make sort of like a first-person shooter, and we wanted to make something that was really beautiful. Um, I didn't even know at this point that I was starting to slip into what would become my main specialization, which is world creation and lighting. Um, But even then, like, I had a a deep passion for kind of map building and stuff like that. Um, So we ended up creating a a first-person shooter game called Toybox. Now, I'm not gonna lie, we were pretty cracked um, in terms of like what we were trying to do. It was ridiculous. Um we were, you know, not only trying to make this game, but we were like, well, we want it to have multiplayer support. And then part of that was actually setting up like the multiplayer like servers so that we could run lands across the the school and stuff like that, which we managed to get all of that working, which was absolutely ridiculous. That's
2: honestly impressive.
1: Yeah, but the whole the whole catch of this game was like it was meant to be uh, a non lethal first person shooter. So basically, Toy Story, but the characters were running around with Nerf guns, like shooting each other, but they never died. So we could, cre- you know, we could creep into that, uh, the-, the children market. So per- parents wouldn't get upset with us and they'd rather buy this game for their kids than, say, Call of Duty or something like that. Um, there's this whole like marketing ploy. Anyway, so we, we, we'd made that game. It was super successful. We got like a, a high distinction for it, which is like the best mark you can get. And we were super, super happy with how everything had gone. We all graduated at the same time. Um, and apparently we were even hearing like even as of a couple of weeks ago, they still showcase that game to new students. So we're, we're really proud of that work. Um, from that point, we split off and kind of did our own things for a little bit. Like, we remained in contact. We're good friends and everything. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I went off and did my master's. Um, a couple of the, the my other team members went off and did other things. And then we we came back together because the things we were working on, we weren't super passionate about. Like Australia's got an um, incredible pedigree for like small indie games, but at the time it was mainly mobile stuff, so like Fruit Ninja, Jetpack Joyride, stuff like uh-huh. that, and like Crossy Road, and we just weren't—it wasn't really our vibe. Like it, we just weren't really interested in those kind of games, and we we're like, ugh, like. It's hard to get passionate about something when we're making games that weren't the reason we pay- became game developers in the first place.
2: Yeah, there's a really so, story in those games.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So we kind of came together, and our first ever meeting as a team—this was before we were like a, a proper company or anything—was at a was at a Macca's where we basically <laughs> at McDonald's um, where we got uh, food and um, we ended up just talking about some ideas and just brainstorming and talking about what we wanted to do. And we're like, you know what? Even though it'll be hard and it'll be a lot of sacrifice because we'll be doing it outside of our own work hours, we should try and make something. And that was how the studio was formed. And then, of course, the important part of developing a studio is coming up with the name. And after some back and forth, uh, Yasin, who is one of our team members, basically said, why don't we call it like Toybox Games? After all, we had so much success with our first ever game together as a team, which was Toybox. And it just kind of fit. We loved the idea of, like, you know, a studio that's, like, you know, you're peering into the toy box in order to pull out the different ad- stories and adventures. Like, as a child, you-, you create all of these incredible universes just with the toys that you have. Um, mm. And we really liked the idea that that was kind of what was going to be uh, the kind of the- thematic theme that uh, existed around our game games themselves, but also us as a studio, which was we wanted to create something that was a little bit larger than life or a little bit beyond reality. And then from there, yeah, we began uh developing games and working on prototypes and that's kind of how our team came together we've been together as obviously really good friends but also as colleagues for the better part of six years now so yeah it's really exciting
0: wow very cool so circling back to primordial legends mm. hollow hero had sort of a big coming out party this year you guys announced the game launched a kickstarter previewed it at PAX, and even got a feature on kotaku which is yeah incredibly exciting stuff. For our listeners who might not have heard about the game yet, can you tell us what the game is about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a term that we've been coining since uh, a couple of people have said it to us since the game was announced. Uh, and and then also like at PAX and stuff, like obviously the, the whole rhyming of things like, you know, wombat and combat is like really, mm-hmm. really awesome. But we've become a huge fan of this as a descriptor, which is it's God of War. But with a wombat. (laughs) so I love that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's really easy to then kind of picture the game, right? You're like, oh, God of War, but replace Kratos with a wombat. (laughs) Yeah, awesome, right? But yeah, it's like, it's actually, it's pretty apt. Now, obviously, we're not Santa Monica, and we don't have a 100 team members plus, and we don't have basically a blank check to throw at these kind of things, but... We are hugely, hugely inspired by 2018's God of War. You can kind of see it in the camera placement. Even the out, down to our control system is a direct copy of the God of War control system. So, the right bumper or R1 is the light attack and then the right trigger or R2 is the heavy attack. Exactly like it's seen in God of War, etc. And yeah, <clears throat> so that's, that's the basics of what the game is in terms of like a general like way to visualize it. But the other part of it as well is it almost harkers back to uh, old school platformers all the way up through PS1, PS2 era. So we've got like platforming and basic puzzles and you can like throw projectiles to complete puzzles. And there's all these different things that you need to do in order to kind of progress through this world. So it's kind of a mix of that sort of modern those modern games that we're hugely inspired by, um, but also kind of the games that we grew up with a little bit and trying to kind of meld those two worlds together in a way that I think we've been pretty successful. Uh, a lot of people who played it at PAX recently really enjoyed that. It was like, it was cool. It was kind of marrying the uh, the old and the new in a lot of ways. So yeah, that was cool. And then um, the other part, obviously, that's super important to us is the storytelling. So this is like a really, really in-depth universe. Um, the name of the game, Primordial Legends, Hollow Hero, very similar to say the Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Mm-hmm. So the Elder Scrolls is the overarching story, it's the universe, it's where everything happens, but then Skyrim is the particular focus of this game. And we've adopted a similar approach to our naming conventions for what we're working on. So Primordials Legends is the overall story, the larger universe holo hero is specifically the story about our wombat and her name is brunt and she's awesome and we've got super talented voice actors working on it and all this other sort of stuff so yeah it's really cool but we want to use this as an opportunity to introduce players to our universe which is much much bigger than what we showcase in just this game Mm -hmm. i'm personally a huge fan of like theory crafting and the way that people kind of like try and figure out like you know what's what's actually going on here because we like we put breadcrumbs around the world and we have really interesting like environmental storytelling but we don't actually tell you exactly where kind of the the overall like mythos is heading very deliberately because i want people to kind of you know theorize about what that might be but yeah basically if people play hollow hero it's a a great beginning middle and end story they can play it finish it be happy with their experience and that's it but for those of us who are more interested in that more in-depth universe and that story, that experience, you just have to scratch beneath the surface a little bit and a lot more begins to reveal itself. So yeah, it's really, really exciting stuff and it's, it's been awesome working on it. So yeah.
2: I mean, that does sound awesome. I can't even <laughs> tell you the amount of time I've spent on like Reddit threads, pouring over like little hints and stuff that you find in a game. And it, sometimes yeah. like, obviously the game itself is a fun part, but you know, being able to really immerse yourself in the world and get so excited. In depthly involved in all of the little clues that the developers leave you. I feel like that's mm-hmm. just one of the coolest parts of games these days.
1: A hundred percent. And I'm like a huge, huge fan of that kind of stuff. Like the classic, like peeling back the layers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's everything that's on the surface. And then there's like, there's the parts that we're like hinting at that we hope that the community can figure out themselves But then even further, it goes even further than that as well. And we're hoping that those kind of things become even more apparent as you delve like further and further into the game world. I think a fantastic example of this, surprisingly, obviously I'm hugely inspired by Halo is, you know, Halo is initially about humanity versus, versus the covenant, but Mm -hmm. they're on this Halo ring. And very, very little is explained to you other than it was a race that was called the Forerunners that kind of developed it. And I like that there was so much of that, like, there's this whole expansive universe beyond just this initial conflict that exists in the first three games. But there's hints everywhere about how that might grow. And now they're starting to explore that within, like, you know, Halo Infinite and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're like, we like that kind of stuff as well. Uh, you know we're setting it up so that there's always kind of like you know why why are these characters here like it, it doesn't make sense or why is this part of the environment the way that it is and yeah and players can slowly begin to figure that out and that's that's super awesome I, I enjoy seeing that happen so it's cool.
0: Yeah and, and the coolest thing about you know the position you're in is is you you can not only do that in the world you can even do that with like your characters like there's a scar that's just unexplained and it's just the, the rich lore that, that can be in games both on the surface and beneath the surface is just phenomenal just a a fantastic place for you to be be in
1: exactly right and you can already start to see that in her design if you look carefully so there's like i'm not going to say anything but there's things within her design that already people could start thinking about the greater rules that make up this universe we, we call them rules right which is basically like you know in our in our reality gravity is a rule right we can't defy gravity we can't just float mm-hmm. away sort of thing and they're basically systems within our universe that define why things work the way that they do it's the same way as like in the flash they explain away things by basically saying it's the speed force I use the speed force to do it right um, but yeah it's like the same thing here we have we have things that within the law exist Within our universe. You know, an example that doesn't really give anything away, but like as part of a gameplay mechanic, but also as part of a lore system, is uh in our universe, we have these mushrooms, and around these mushrooms there's little firefly-like creatures called Glinkles. And they're they're very they have like magical properties. But basically what they're known for within the lore, and basically the characters in our universe know this, is basically they're guides for lost travelers. So, you know, if you ever get lost out in the wilderness or you ever get lost out in the world. All you need to do is follow the glinkles or follow the mushrooms and you'll find your way home or you'll find where you need to be, right? It's like this like natural thing. But from a gameplay perspective, we also provide that to the player. If the player follows the mushrooms, they'll find the way that they're meant to go. So if you run into this sort of situation where you've kind of got like a branching path and it's like, oh, you know, like, you know how you kind of, you know, you're meant to go that way, but you want to explore the other side. Well, mm-hmm. with this, you can do that and know which way realistically you're meant to be going because the mushrooms are leading you that way. And then if the player decides to branch off, they can, but they can always follow the mushrooms back to the main path and different stuff like that. So, yeah.
2: That's really clever. (laughs) So with all of this lore and world building, what is that Mm -hmm. process like? Like, how do you guys sit down and, you know, even find inspiration to build all of this lore? Like, where do you start at square one when you were back at the very beginning of development?
1: It's a process, I think. Like, if I'm being honest with you, I can't even recall the first inception of like a lot of these characters, if that makes sense, and kind of the world we wanted to build. We just knew that we, we wanted to make, it started off, we knew we wanted to make like a third person action adventure game. And we knew that we wanted to have this like really expansive lore and stuff. And basically what we did was we'd sit down and we're like, okay, like the same way I was telling you about the rules of our universe. What we need to do to get started with this as a team is we need to decide what key events have occurred within the history of this universe that have led up to these moments what happens beyond this is irrelevant because we're writing that story but we need to understand what led up to this moment so we have like i think it's something ludicrous like 150,000 years of like established law now oh, wow. that doesn't that doesn't mean that we know what happens every single day of those 150,000 years but we do know those key moments throughout history that have led to certain things happening and the reason we're where we are now. And that's kind of how we got started. And then from that, we can start actually building our game story off of those key components that we already understand. But in terms of like generating it, like, you know, we're all creative people at Box and we all have like a deep passion for storytelling. So, we basically just get in a room and we kind of just hash it out and we like throw things at the wall, see what works, what doesn't. And then from that, we generate more and more ideas until eventually we start moving towards something that like kind of clicks for us. And we're like, yeah, that's like a really cool idea. It also comes from like general inspiration as well. So, like one of our main characters, Ash, which we'll go into a little bit further, I have no doubt, but basically is inspired by Journey to the West, like the Monkey King and different stuff like that. So, of course, we're always pulling from like, you know, different experiences that we've had in order to create something new. The same way I said I was inspired by like Halo's lore and the way that the Forerunners work. There's like all these things that, you know, can kind of uh, help us build this universe, but we're building it around our own creations and our own ideas as well. Um and yeah, that's kind of how it works and then you just keep kind of moving forward and then you come up with more stuff. Um so you know, we've developed the the key story for Hollow Hero, but we know like we know that that moves in a direction that's meant to get us to a certain point within the overall history of our world. Yeah, and that's it's just always about kind of recorrecting and getting on the the correct path again. And then you can fit little things in there that like, you know, are kind of interesting and stuff, so. Yeah, we've recently introduced a new character to the game because we thought it would be a cool idea and because this character could have a cool story, but she doesn't directly affect the overall the overall effect of the global law. So, therefore, we can do that and kind of have cool little moments like that. But overall, and kind of my role as the creative director is to always ensure that there's a level of cohesion uh, and consistency to our art, our storytelling, gameplay, etc. So, yeah.
0: So, on your Kickstarter, you mentioned that the game is going to be fully voice acted. What was the casting process like and how did you find the right voice for the characters you've
1: created? So funnily enough, one of, our, uh, one of our team members, Alec, who is our audio composer, would probably be better at answering this than me because he is a voice actor himself. Um, so we ended up going through a lot of his voice acting contacts in order to kind of establish this but mm. it kind of works the way i imagined any kind of voice calling or voice cast calling would work which is we had some people that we kind of knew we were interested in working with and then but we weren't 100% sure if they'd work so mm. we s- sent them like ndas and messages and we were like hey We've got these characters. We think you'd be awesome for it. Are you interested in having a quick interview? And we can kind of chat and kind of see if you can, if you'll be like good for the voice. And then through those conversations, we'd listen to their like, basically their show reel, but they're like voice reels. And we'd be like, we'd find a particular voice within that reel. And we're like, yeah, that that's perfect. That's exactly how I visualize this particular character speaking. And then from that, we just organize an audio session um, and then go from there. We've written like the whole script in-house. So it was as simple as just giving our voice actors the script once it was written, and then getting them to do that. A lot of the voice acting in this game was actually able to be completed in less than two hours uh, of voice recording, because all of the voice actors we've worked with have just been ludicrously talented. But also, you know, again, we're not making a God of War here. Like, it's not going to be like a 50-hour experience, so we don't have as much dialogue for some characters, with the exception being our wombat, Brunt, um, who we're going to have a lot of sessions with her, but we knew straight away that we wanted to work with a talented voice actor here in Australia called Amy Smith. Smith, and she's done some just awesome stuff Like really, really talented um, And she's a good friend of Alex uh, And we just knew that we we wanted to bring her on board Because we'd seen the work that she'd done in previous games And it was really important for us Obviously, you know, having a wombat Which is an Australian animal To have an Aussie voice actor, mm-hmm. you know, being the voice But straddling that really fine line I think, like, it's a little bit of the We call it the Hollywoodized version of an Australian Accent, which is like, you know how it's like, it's always the like crikey or like, you know, stuff like that, like Steve Irwin story, (laughs) but it, it isn't like, even though we have accents, it's not necessarily that like forced. And for us, we were like, we wanted to make a game about an Australian character, but we wanted her to be serious within this universe. So, she has an Aussie Aussie accent, people will hear it, but it's not meant to almost be, like, the butt of the joke. Like, within this universe, she's just a character and, like, it's a serious universe with, like, serious consequences when things go wrong. And we were really interested in the idea of that. So, a lot of people, when they played, they were like, that was dope, right? Because they, like, they were, like, hearing this character, like, you know, she's Aussie and stuff and, like, you know, she's this awesome character- But she's really grounded within the universe. Like, it's not meant to be, like, the the joke Aussie character. Like, she's just Mm -hmm. the main character in this universe. And I think it gives, like, just a sense of, like, importance but also- Yeah, like a a seriousness to the game that we're trying to achieve, which Amy Smith brought, uh, which is awesome. So, yeah, in general, all of the voice talent that we've worked with have been super, super cool. And if I'm being honest, it's been one of the easiest things to deal with because every single person has just been awesome. We just book a time and then we do it. But like, you know, talking with you now, obviously, uh, you know, you're in uh, East Coast, did you say, of the States? Yep. Um, yeah, you know, like our time zones, even just now for this meeting are like radically different. We had some gnarly times for when we were trying to uh, organize our voice chats. I know we had one person in the States who did some voice acting for us. And it was like 9pm like for me. It was like 8am for the voice actor in America. And then my audio composer, Alec, he was in, I think, Germany at the time. So he was like in an Airbnb and it was like 3am in the morning and he's in his, he's in like the bathroom of this Airbnb because he doesn't want to wake up his partner. And it's just, (laughs) it's just the most ridiculous stuff you've ever heard, but we get it done and yeah, it, uh, it works out in the end. So yeah.
2: Well, dedication to the craft, you know?
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the best without a doubt. So yeah.
0: If you're ever looking for an American accent with nowhere near the talent as any of these people, <laughs> here I am.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, join our uh, join our Discord, and we'll uh, we'll chuck you under voice acting talent because we will put out we will put out calls for people. So if it's something you are interested in, you're always welcome to apply. So. Yeah.
2: So, I'm
0: gonna hold you to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, serious. I'm serious. Like join join the Discord. Yeah, and we when we're looking for a character, then people can send through the the voice reels, and we can go from there. So
2: yeah. So you know, you mentioned people getting a chance to to play the game, and I know you guys just finished up at PAX. First mm-hmm. of all, how is it like to be back at a, a conference and a convention after the last couple crazy years? And what was the reception to the game like so far?
1: So with regards to being back to the convention, PAX OZ is interesting obviously you know at the bottom of the world in a lot of ways for me I'm a very naturally extroverted person so, I loved it. Like, I was like, it's so good to be around people again, you know, like lockdowns and stuff like that. Like, I couldn't handle it. I don't I don't like being by myself and stuff. So like being around people and around that energy, it just gets me more and more hyped. So, in that way, it was awesome. But I think it's good to just have PAX back. You know what I mean? Like, it had been years without any kind of major event and it just kind of sucks when you can't really celebrate the industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was cool. With regards to feeling, this particular PAX was interesting because the big thing three didn't rock up so the big three being nintendo sony and microsoft didn't have booths there so in that way the space felt a little bit emptier but right. it was better because all of a sudden there was way more eyes on the indie section and like mm-hmm. the indie section in, in pack for pax i i'm pretty sure is the biggest of all the paxes like we had like something like 60 80 games there it was ludicrous the amount of like Yeah, the amount of games that were there and it was awesome because everyone was like, you know, just putting out incredible content. But yeah, for us, that also meant that like, yeah, we had an incredible reception because it's it's so interesting, right? Like you think about AAA games. And I kind of heard a few people mention this, like AAA games, they're always going for that, like, photorealism, you know, really high fidelity, you know, realistic looking stuff. And that. And then, like, the more artistic games are a bit rarer, Um, like, you know, the, the you know, cel shading or interesting 2D art and stuff within a AAA context. Whereas, like, indies, it's the complete opposite. There's always insane, awesome art styles and creative, like, art directions and stuff like that. But you almost never see a hyper-realistic game because... It's really, really hard to do. <laughs> it's really difficult. So, when people were looking at our game and they walk past and see the video and they're like, what the fuck? You know, like they're just looking at it and they're like, damn, like, you know, like, how does this game look like this? And then they realize it's basically just a team of seven of us plus a couple of contractors here and there. They're just absolutely blown away by the visual fidelity that we've been able to achieve. And like that was, like, that works on our part. Like, as much as it sucks, unfortunately, a lot of people do judge books by their cover. So, the fact that we've got something really pretty out of the gate basically allowed us to have a crowd around it. PAX the whole time. We've never had anything like that. It was so awesome. Like, there wasn't a single moment where someone wasn't either watching our game or playing it. We had, like, two demo stands set up, and part of me wishes we could have had, like, four more. Obviously, you know, limited resources and space and stuff like that. But in general, it was awesome. And then the part that makes us even happier collectively after that is like you know this was our first this was our first public build that we'd kind of made available for people to play and we kind of had to just sit there and watch and hope that things work the game did not crash once that weekend like it ran perfectly and like that made us really happy because it meant we were able to not worry as much about what the game was doing and more about communicating with people, letting them know about the game itself um, and different things like that. And in that way, it was really, really good. And then, of course, the other fear is like, okay, cool. Well, your game looks awesome, but how does it play? You know, how's the story? How's that? And then everything that we've done, we've brought from the approach of like, You know, if we were a AAA studio, what would the expectations be? Okay, cool. Now, scope that down to something that seven people can achieve. But that means then everything that we do so our audio design, our visual work, our game design, our storytelling, our script writing, our accessibility features in things like, you know, colorblind modes and subtitles and then controls for those subtitles. And all these different things have to be really high quality because we feel it has to be. Like it, for us, it's like, it's it's almost personal, right? We're like, this is the reason we've got into games. We've taken a massive risk trying to make something of this quality. So we have to prove that if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. That was kind of the vibe that we went for. And then every single person responded to that really positively. So in general, like the, the long short of it is PAX was awesome. And uh, it was pretty much universally appreciated, which makes us feel good because it's always scary kind of working on something in the dark over the entirety of a global pandemic and then hoping you put it out there and you're like, shit, I hope people actually enjoy this, right? Um, and then people do. It's very gratifying. So, it's good. It's awesome.
0: As someone who's been following Toy Box Games for a bit, Hollow Hero is actually an evolution of your first project, Primordial's Fireborn. It seems to be set in the same universe, but following a different lead character, a bit of a different story. At what point did you realize you wanted to pivot the game's focus... And what were some of the driving factors behind that decision?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I was mentioning before, so in Fireborn, the main character Ash was the character I was describing that was kind of inspired by Journey to the West,
0: mm-hmm. aka Dragon Ball.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so you can see, you can see our character has like a, like a bow staff and all that kind of stuff. Our character throws fireballs, which I guess could be the equivalent of like energy balls from like Dragon Ball, right? Like stuff like that. Like we're we're inspired by that kind of stuff as well. But yeah, so for us, it was actually more of a business pivot decision. So we're working on Primordial's Fireborn and things were moving along pretty well. We'd put together like a sort of a rough demo and we're working away. But the scope of this game was a lot larger than what we currently have for Hollow Hero. Now, a really important caveat for me to say before we do this, as you kind of mentioned, this is an evolution. So the story and game that we were working on for Fireborn, it still exists. It just doesn't exist in the context of what we're doing now. And instead, everything that we're doing now is meant to feed back into us basically one day returning to Fireborn. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. But basically, in 2019, a bunch of us went to the States to GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference. It's the like biggest game dev conference in the world, I'm pretty sure. Uh, mm-hmm. It's ludicrously expensive, but it's where you go if you want to get contacts and stuff like that. So uh, we packed up and we flew to the States and we basically showed our game to a bunch of publishers. And almost every single one of them echoed the same thing, which was your team is clearly super talented, but you have no proof that you can release a game like this, because obviously we were going for like a high fidelity, super realistic game. You have no proof that you can do this um, and therefore you're too much of a risk. So we don't want to deal with you, but come back to us after you've released a game when you're working on the second one. Now, I know that sounds a bit harsh. I'm not like attacking any publisher. At the end of the day, they are a business and they need to make sure they can like, you know, pay their own people and stuff. But of course, it was it was a stab to it was a stab to the ego on the heart a little bit, right? Like we'd put in so much time and passion into this project and it didn't work out, but also because of the what our methodologies as a business we could understand why they were like that, even if it kind of hurt. So, we got back to Australia and we're kind of like, well, what the hell do we do? Um, there's just no way we're going to be able to finish this game without some form of publisher support. It's just too big because we were working entirely in our spare time at this point. And yeah, it was just, it was kind of, it was hard. So, we ended up kind of swallowing a really bitter pill and we were like, we need to re our focus on this the th- key issue we're facing here is everyone's saying that they haven't seen us release something before so that is the thing that we need to fix however we were unwilling to take a step back towards the more mobile s games or those smaller projects we still we had put so much time we were so invested in the primordial's universe right we didn't mm. want to get rid of that so instead we were like let's tell a new story But one that's a lot more scoped, a lot easier for us to achieve, and most importantly, something that we as a team could finish without any financial support right which is a great irony because now that the game is doing so well we're now potentially getting funding from different avenues how does it It always works like that right um when you don't need it it comes sort of thing but yeah. anyway so that like that's great and we're super happy about that but the whole point of this game was to prove we could release something of a really high quality basically be like look what we did for free right mm-hmm. imagine if you give us some cash man right like that's kind of the whole <laughs> the whole vibe that we've been we've been uh approaching and, It's kind of worked in a way that's really, really good. But I think what a lot of people don't realize, and that's why I'm so happy to do talks like this because it gives some context, is Fireborn isn't gone. It's just sort of sitting in the wings a little bit. So the way I can explain that is like Ash, our character, the universe that we created for that particular story that we wanted to tell, it all still exists. And the easiest way that I can convey that that's the truth is... Brunt, our wombat, was actually conceptualized all the way back in 2015 when we first started working on this game. Her role within Fireborn was actually meant to act as the key trainer for the player in the game. So basically, as they learnt new abilities and they learnt new things, they would approach Brunt and she would teach them how to do it, right? She's kind of like an old grizzled sort of like war hero sort of character. Mm. We knew that we loved Brunt and wombats are one of my favorite sort of animals. So we were like, why don't we just build an origin origin story for her? That way, everything that we're developing from like like artistically, but also like gameplay systems, but also story-wise can be before the events of Fireborn. We can develop a great emotional connection to a character that is going to be a pretty common character within Fireborn anyway. And then you get that kind of I don't want to say it because obviously it's a huge example but you kind of get that Marvel moment where like all of a sudden a character comes into a different game you're like fuck yeah you know like you're so pumped <laughs> for it because like obviously you know you've got this emotional connection to that character and stuff like that but obviously because you've already experienced the game with them and that's what we were trying to do with Brunt so this is her origin story this is how she becomes the hollow hero and it's acting as a world-building point so that we can go back towards Fireborn in the future. So, yeah, it's a bit of a roundabout. It's a bit of a chaotic thing. But at the end of the day, it was actually more of a business decision because it was important for us. You know, we're still kind of working off our own backs right now. And we don't want to be doing that forever. We want to become like a serious studio that's making serious games and a serious franchise in Primordials. So... Yeah, it was like it was a necessary pivot in order for us to basically be like, look, we can get this work done and we can ship it. We just need this financial support to do so. And then hopefully that means that a publisher will hop on board and then we'll be in a way better position to be kind of making something like Fireborne, which is a bit bigger in scope, which is a bit more towards that kind of triple A, triple I indie sort of quality that we want to achieve, basically, for our future games. So,
0: yeah, I got to say, the titles, by the way, track perfectly. Legends sounds like a prequel, and then Fireborn yeah. sounds like the new thing that, like, a phoenix kind of. Yeah, exactly. The new it's that is funny. Re- it's so, fantastic fu- job there.
1: It's so funny you mentioned that. It's so funny. I'm not going to say anything, but it's so funny you mentioned the phoenix. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, it's almost like everything we've thought about is going to work, which is super exciting. Yeah, cool.
2: So I don't want to prematurely compare you to marvel but i mean mm. on your website even you know you said that you guys are planning a series of games so even beyond you know ash's story do you kind of have like a roadmap in mind about like where you want to take this entire universe like, do you have stories kind of in the background that you know you want to work on next
1: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the key individual stories we're still in the process of developing, but if you've seen the trailer, you will know that there's kind of a very off-the-cuff sort of section at the start where you've got this kind of hooded, cloaked figure that's talking mm-hmm. to one of our Raccoon characters, the Dreg, called Eldar. Um, now, Eldar is Brunt's adoptive father, but he's basically known as a lawkeeper in the world. So these two characters are talking and that's kind of how we're telling... That's how we're telling the story. It's basically Eldar is telling this story to the stranger um, and then it's basically reminiscing the actual events of the story themselves. Um, But we're using that as, like, a key point, which is, like, you know... You've got this whole story of Bruntness, this really cool thing, but what is this container that's at the start and end of the game where this basically it's in this desolate void location? You've got this one character that's up on a throne that basically could be anything, and then you've got another character that's known as a law keeper in the world that is within this space, is telling this, this hooded character these stories. Why? And... All of that is leading up to, like, key moments, even within Hollow Hero, that is meant to start expanding upon the universe itself. The way we've been describing it, right, is, like, Primordials, legends and stuff like that. Like, the legends or the primordials themselves. So, primordials in our universe are basically gods. They're, like, godlike creatures. Mm -hmm. But the, the legends as well are the champions of the world. And Brunt- For all intents and purposes, is one of those champions. You know, it's like you said, you said kind of Marvel. It's like, it's obviously, we're not Disney. We don't have that kind of money, but the the (laughs) idea, the idea is similar, right? Which is like, you think about Iron Man, Iron Man is one of the avengers right or hulk or anything like that but they are the individuals that come together for a cause and the heroes of our universe are kind of the same so even though they have their individual stories it's the primordial story it's the story of the world itself that is they're just actors or they're just parts characters pawns whatever you want to call it within that universe and it's always moving forward so Yeah, Brunt. uh, A lot of people have asked us, you know, is she going to be the main character in the next game? Stuff like that. Uh, I'll be honest. We haven't yet decided. I think it'll depend. We have much, much more story that we want to tell for Brunt. Like there's much more to her. You know, some savvy people have already called out that like the biome that she's walking around in doesn't really feel Australian. That's very much by design. She is kind of a fish out of water in this game. She's not. She's not, for lack of a better term, where she comes from. And that's a whole other thing that I won't dive into that we want to explore as well. So there's a lot more than just this game that we want to explore from Brunt's story. But, you know, there's also many other characters that exist in this universe as well. So we're still deciding how we want to approach that. But there's obviously the two key ones that people already know about is Ash and Fireborn, who, you know has already been revealed in that previous game. So, uh, he's a major, major player in the in the overall story. Um, and then Brunt, and she's a major player in the overall story as well. Oh, and then also Elder and The Stranger. They're obviously very important as well, but in a way that we're not going to reveal yet. So, yeah. As we get closer and closer,
0: what is your plan for the game leading up to its release? And are you able to share when and where we can expect to play it?
1: Yeah. So, as of right now, we've obviously had some great, great success, uh, which is Awesome. So, we're currently seeking, we're going to be seeking some funding from like the different screen agencies here in Australia. And we're actively looking for publishers who might be interested in publishing the game as well. Um, You know, we'd never say no to that. It's always nice to have support. Um, You know, they've got access to like marketing budgets and networks that we just don't have access to. But as of right now, it's about getting back down and sort of finishing off the game while kind of handling that different stuff. Uh, with regards to when you can play it next we're not sure when our next event will be but it'll be something um, which we will share on our socials so if you just follow us at Games, you'll be able to find it there but with regards to release next year is the current aim I can't give you an exact date the nature of being indie means that our production schedules can get blown out of the water by absolutely nothing so yeah so there's no exact date but basically next year end of next year is what we're aiming for and yeah so we're already on PC so we're coming to PC so that'll be uh, yeah. that'll be steam and the epic game store and we absolutely want to do console releases the only thing with the console releases is depending on our budget or our funding that we have up until that point is will determine whether we're doing a simultaneous release or not so we may end up doing the PC release first and then maybe six months later we do the Xbox and the Sony release we're also that makes sense, yeah. so we're also interested in Switch but Switch is notoriously difficult to develop for and obviously we're making like a super pretty game I look at something like The Witcher and I'm, I swear they must have just sold their souls to the devil in order to pull that off I have no <laughs> idea how that game is playing on the Switch but they did it so that's something we'll investigate as well but right now we know for a fact it'll play beautifully on the PlayStation 5 it'll play beautifully on the Series S and X um, but the Switch is a little bit more hard so we're still we're still investigating that but at PAX the entire game was playing with uh, gamepad support so we we're using Xbox controllers there and like I said we built the controls at least for the controller around God of War so if you've played God of War before it's pretty much the same way. Shields, parries, everything like that. Uh, with the exception being that you don't really dodge. You don't really dodge. Instead, you burrow. So she can like burrow underground because she's a wombat and all this other kind of cool stuff. So yeah. And then the keyboard controls uh, are yeah, kind of like a default system we've set up. But again, I kind of mentioned accessibility. We're going to make it all of that completely bindable. So there'll be default settings, but whatever you want it to be, you can have it. So yeah, but definitely PC. PC definitely consoles we just don't know when there's more the point for consoles so yeah
2: awesome well we can't wait to play it I'm kidding. and this is not a game related question this is something that we actually ask all of our guests kind of you know as we're talking about the avengers we kind of try to assemble and interview avengers if you will oh great yeah what, awesome <laughs> if you could have any superpower what would it be
1: Ooh. so my my favorite superhero is superman I love him as a character. I love the idea of, like, being self, like, you know, almost Boy scouty good for the sake of being good, even though you're a god that mm-hmm. could, like, abuse those powers. But obviously Superman isn't a power. <laughs> he has many powers. Um, and then part of me wants to cheese it and be like, uh, like, have you seen uh, My Hero Academia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, how Deku has, like, all for one. Because then I could cheese that and be like, yeah, I've got all the abilities, but I won't do that either. I'll focus on an, <laughs> an individual ability. Um, I think for me it'd be super speed. Even though with Superman, obviously the whole flight thing is awesome in that. I think flight, it's like, it's literally limited to flight. But I look at a character like the Flash and all the things that the Flash can do with that kind of speed, I think would make would make me a bit of a powerhouse if I was a superhero. So yeah, I think, I think that's the skill I'd want to go with is something like that. Yeah, super speed would be awesome. My more villain side of me wants to say uh, the power of suggestion. I think it was in Jessica Jones... I forget the villain's name, but he was basically able to suggest things and then people would do it. I'm like, ooh, I kind of like that. Yes, publisher. It's
2: a publisher. Yeah, Yeah, yes, publisher. Give me $6
1: billion. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I think super speed is what I'll go with for sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, Tyson, for being on the show. No worries. And um, this was a fantastic interview. So we really do appreciate your time. And with that, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled episode.
2: All right. Welcome back. And thank you again to Tyson for that wonderful discussion. Keep your eyes open and peeled. Go follow Toybox. Go follow Tyson. Make sure you're keeping up to date on Hello Hero. It looks freaking amazing so far, and I can't wait to see what's in store next. With that, we're going to get back into our regularly scheduled nerd news programming. And I'm here, obviously, Nerd Bomber, joined by Tactic Still. Hello, hello. Illegal, still not here, but hopefully soon he will come back to the roost.
0: He is missed
2: but we have a lot of cool stuff to discuss without him. He's probably going to be a little bit jealous because some of our topics are pretty great this week. We got a new announcement for a sequel, A Christmas Story Christmas, a follow-up to the much-beloved A Christmas Story. We have Henry Cavill giving us a kind of surprise announcement of his own, and the long-awaited trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Tactic, are you excited about all this stuff?
0: I'm excited about some of the stuff, and we, we will happily get into that.
2: All right, so I kind of want to kick this off. You know, I know it's like Halloween-y, not quite the right holiday here, but I want to kick this off with the holiday spirit. So A Christmas Story Christmas, this is a new announcement. It's a direct sequel to A Christmas Story, which was, you know, that... 80s movie. It plays on TBS and TNT for 24 hours on Christmas. Everyone's probably seen it at this point. You'll shoot your eye out if you haven't seen it. And this is announced it's going to be streaming on HBO Max, actually coming out in just a few short weeks on November 17th. And just to give you guys a little bit of a debrief so this is a little bit more of a teaser than an actual straight up trailer, but we see some, a montage of kind of like references and images from the original movie. You know, you have the leg lamp the infamous leg lamp you have a photo of ralphie and his friends all dressed up in winter like i don't know if they're on the playground or on their way to school you also have i believe the bb gun is in there and then while the trailer is playing you have a bunch of quotes and snippets of audio from the original movie and then culminating in finally an one of the ending scenes, the original actor who played Ralphie, obviously now grown up, you know, showing his face, indicating that he is back. The original actor is back reprising his role for this sequel. Tactic, on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you for this?
0: I'm, I'm probably about a cautious six. And the reason why is because there were a lot of things in the first one that just made it work and made it great. And I'm just going to rattle out the list. So prepare yourself. So the prepared. The first thing is, you might not know this, but in the first one, it is narrated by older Ralphie. Well, guess what? That's not actually older Ralphie. That's another actor entirely. And so when they're doing this, who is it going to be narrated by? And are they going to have the original Ralphie try to fit into that voice? Or is it just going to be this awkward, clumsy, trying to fit in that voice? I don't know. I'm skeptical about that. The other thing... And the reason why I loved it so much is it was so beautifully articulated. The words that they used, the personification that was used, the storytelling was just done absolutely phenomenally as as far as the way that they narrated it. And I just, I struggle with if they're going to be able to find that lightning in a bottle again. If they do, fantastic. If they don't, yee. And then the last thing that I want to talk about, and I kind of want to get your opinion on this, Nerd Bomber, is what exactly the plot is. So when they showed these snippets, it was all these things from the original house. And either A, Ralphie's a total loser and still lives at home or bought the house that his parents are, or there's some kind of family event, and this is probably the more likely one, something happens where the parents passed on or moved to Florida or, or whatever, and they have to unpack the house and they're going through all the memories. And I think that would be a nice way to do it where you have the callbacks, but it's not just rehashing the same storyline so that you can have that homage while having a new story and have heartfelt family moments kind of coming together, reliving these moments as a family and just going through the holidays. I think that's the way they can do it and make it good.
2: I feel like if they have him going back to the house and it's basically him just kind of retelling all of the moments and the stories to his family or his kids or whatever, that will feel a little bit too derivative because it's going to basically be the same story. I mean, I do think that's a good way to get them like back in that house, back in that neighborhood and have maybe those things in the background. Like the light lamp will be there and maybe he'll tell like a quick story about it, but it's not going to be like the central focus. I believe it will probably be a little bit more like somehow he does end up backing that house. I do agree with you there. I don't know what will lead him to go back to the house, even if they're just like visiting and maybe it'll be like a National Lampoon Christmas vacation, but instead of like going to Ralphie's house. Ralphie will be going back home with his family. Maybe it could be one of those. I will say I am excited. So there was actually technically already a sequel. A Christmas Story 2 exists. It was bad. Nobody I know actually watched this. this. Yeah, there was actually a sequel that already existed. And it wasn't actually based off the original author's work. So A Christmas Story is actually based off of a book. And the sequel, Christmas Story 2, followed like teenage Ralphie, he had a completely different cast, didn't follow the author's writing. It would, it just didn't feel good. It uh, it felt like a money grab sort of sequel. It just wasn't great. I'm hoping that this is calling back to that author, Gene Shepherd's other stories. I feel like I know he's written other books. I'm not really sure if he ever wrote a direct sequel to A Christmas Story. I mean, A Christmas Story itself was not actually a Christmas book. It was a uh, stories taken out of another book that he wrote. And I'm wondering if maybe it'll be steeped in other stories that the author actually told in his book, and maybe it'll feel a little bit more authentic to that first movie than the original sequel did.
1: If
0: they do that, that would be absolutely fantastic, because like I said, that'll go back to that style of narration, that articulation that we all fell in love with in the first one. That's that's a must, in my opinion. And if they do, if they really end up going to down the money path, please don't. Just don't even produce it. Don't push out the release day. Call someone who knows the author or can get the author's work or at least figure out he's dead, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, that's what I figured.
2: He actually also narrated the movie.
0: That was his voice? Yep. Oh my goodness. We need to get him. We need to call Hocus Pocus because they know how to revitalize people. They'll bring him back. But like I said, the, the key he, thing here is they can't do what Hocus Pocus did. And I'm actually glad that I accidentally said Hocus Pocus because to your point, when we covered that movie... While in it our was,
2: secret segment.
0: In our secret segment. While it was good, it'll never have that same stroke of magic. And it, that Hocus Pocus 2 was, in fact, just a homage to the first one and fan service. It just, it has to have its own magic and it has to be a standalone. And I think that's what needs to make this successful.
2: I do think one of the things that I do want to call on. So, like, This is not the first time that we've seen HBO, HBO Max kind of dip their toes into revisiting this property. And I know 8-Bit Christmas was not a connected movie. It was not a direct sequel. But the idea and the formula that went into 8-Bit Christmas, so this was the Neil Patrick Harris movie that came out on HBO Max last year. It was their original Christmas offering. And it kind of was the same thing. Neil Patrick Harris's character was telling his child, I don't remember if it was son or daughter, but his child a story about back in the day how he really wanted an NES. And so you know there were adventures of him trying to procure an nes kind of like ralphie did with the bb gun in the original christmas story and it had the thing where it was you know narrated over the action and everything like that you had your cute precocious kids the parents that didn't understand all that kind of stuff and it didn't quite hit home but it wasn't bad it just wasn't as good as a christmas story and so i'm hoping that maybe You know, that will bring some hope like that was kind of like the trial run for dipping their toes back into this property and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And then, you know, obviously having that original cast come back, maybe it'll they'll build off what they did in Ape at Christmas and kind of hone in. Then, like, I'm really hoping that was a trial run because they knew they wanted to do this and wanted to just kind of get feedback on what was working or not.
0: Well, what's interesting is a Christmas story had the storytelling as if Ralphie was just reading a diary, whereas Apic Christmas actually took the stance of something similar to uh, Princess Bride, where it was where that one was a storytelling to the kid. So they could even do exactly what was done in ne- with Neil Patrick Harris, and it would still technically be a new perspective.
2: Right. The other thing that I'm wondering too is. What other characters so obviously we saw the OG Ralphie is going to come back but you know is it going to be him and his family and it's just going to be like a new supporting cast around him or are we going to see callbacks to I don't even know if these actors are available or even still alive but like are the parents available the teacher available his brother the bullies his friends. You know, I feel like there's so many different surrounding cast members that you could bring back. And I'm wondering how they're going to do that, how they're going to integrate those characters, if at all. And I think there's there's a lot that has intrigued me and makes me want to watch it just to see even how they do it. Kind of like going back to that other holiday movie we keep referencing. With Hocus Pocus Too, a lot of the draw for me was how are they going to do X, Y, Z, you know? And I wanted to see how they were going to resurrect the witches, you know, what characters we'd see from the original, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what's going to drive me to watch this as well. I'm sure it won't be as good as the first one. It's very difficult for sequels, especially when there's decades between the original and the sequel, to recapture that magic. I mean, filmmaking has just come so far, and I know with a cult classic, like, we love A Christmas Story in this house. We watch it every year. It's it's really, truly something special. I don't know if that would have the same impact, though, If it released today for the first time, or if it's just something that's very nostalgia driven and was really good at the time. But, you know, filmmaking techniques have changed so much now. Would it hit the same? I don't know. And I don't know if the sequel will hit the same, but I'm excited to find out.
0: One more thing to say, if this is successful, prepare yourself for a Home Alone remake.
2: No goodness. I think, didn't they try to do that? They recast Kevin McAllister at some point in like the 2000s and it wasn't great
0: don't do that then (laughs) although he's having he's he's living his best life right now so maybe do that i think he's like up on top of the world right now so you know what i'm still for it do that please if this is successful give us a new home alone so let us know if you're excited about this reach out to us on the social medias
2: the social medias you can find us on twitter at online warriors one is the main show account at Ow Nerd Bomber is me, and at Ow Tactic is tactic. And if you want to, you know, make Illegal feel like he's really missing out, tweet him at Ow Illegal. He's out there. Or is he at Ow Illegal eighty six? I don't know. Find out and then tweet him. Make him feel bad for missing the show.
0: Yeah. So with that, we're gonna roll into our next topic, and this is an announcement by Henry Cavill, and he is letting us know that he will be reprising his role as Superman.
2: Yeah, so he posted a video to his Instagram feed, and this is a spoiler for the next 30 seconds if you haven't seen Black Adam, but apparently he makes a mid-credits cameo in the credits of Black Adam, and he went on his Instagram and he announced that he is officially back as Superman. And he also said that, you know, what we've seen so far is just a very small taste of things to come. So, Tactic, what do you think about this?
0: So I'm really glad that he's reprising the role of Superman because I did not think that he was done until we get an Injustice Superman. I think Henry Cavill has that like structure, I guess you'll call it, where he can pull off a dark Superman. We've seen him in the black suit and it was just it he just oh my goodness he did a fantastic job as as a as a darkened superman and so it only makes sense based on how great that portrayal was to be a corrupted dictator-esque superman now i'm gonna go off a little bit of a tangent if you don't know what the injustice superman is oh i love this but in in short superman kills lois lane and he killed her because he was hit in the face with Scarecrow's uh, confusing serum. And so he thought that Lois was a bad guy, threw her up in space, and that was tied to like a nuke, and all of Metropolis got nuked, and it was all because Joker that these people died. So he goes and straight murders the Joker and says, you know what? This all happened because violence is bad, and then just runs this strict ash regime on all of Earth. He stops crime completely, But it's because if anyone goes out of line, he just straight murders them and doesn't give them any more chances like Batman, because ultimately Batman giving the Joker a billion chances all the time lets him get out of jail all the time and lets him keep killing people all the time. So, you know what? For so many reasons, it's just a fantastic storyline. And I think it's just time for the big screen. We've already seen that they've introduced alternate universes with, we know, Flashpoint Paradox is coming, so why not this alternate reality? It just makes sense.
2: I don't know. Like, I often wonder what the overarching plan is, just because, you know, I, a lot of the criticism with what dc was doing in their previous movies was that it was super dark and if they went that route if they went the injustice route that is just such a dark storyline like it is not fun and especially when you consider some of the characters that they've introduced like they kind of made aquaman a little bit more entertaining than serious i think we have yet to see what they're going to do with the Flash, but from what we saw of the Flash's role in
0: the Snyder Cut,
2: yeah, well, the Snyder Cut and every—I don't even remember—was that Batman versus Superman? I don't even know.
0: Batman v Superman was not the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut was Justice League.
2: So what we saw in Justice League and the Flash's role in that was that he was kind of more like the comedic relief, and even like Wonder Woman, they really leaned into the fun, and then they introduced Shazam, which is a fun, lighthearted character. So I don't know if they. Have have set up the universe to really go that dark but maybe
0: i don't think they need to set up any universe in my opinion i don't think they need to have any continuity at all i think for the dc franchise to be successful all they need to do is take all of the standalone dc movies and make them live action they're going to do that with fresh flashpoint paradox they're going to have a start a middle an end wrap it up that's going to be that movie and so why not do the same thing with injustice Do the same thing with the Red Hood. Do all of those things because ultimately, that's all they need to do. And they will just be so unbelievably successful because all of those stories, they're movies. They're full-length movies. They're great baseline content. Just make them live action. You've got all of the material you need to be successful. Just stop trying to be Marvel. Just be standalone DC, no continuity, and people will love it. And if they do that here, especially with Henry Cavill reprising the role of Superman and in a dark stance, whoo, just whoo.
2: I will say, you know, I know the MCU has built this really interconnected universe, and we'll talk about that in a little bit.
0: And we hate it now.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that we hate it. I would say that it's getting hard to follow, and we're getting into tertiary characters, and there's like multiple storylines, and we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think you know. It is refreshing. Like one of the things that I really enjoyed and I know Wonder Woman 84 was like very mixed bag in terms of reception. But if you just like step back for a little bit and just was like, I'm gonna just have fun with this movie. Even with bad CGI, I'm just gonna have fun with this. It wasn't a bad standalone movie. And like Shazam, not a bad standalone movie. I don't mind having a bunch of standalone movies and even like what they did in Shazam, I thought was really clever. They nodded to the fact that In this universe, all these other superheroes exist. I believe at the end, like didn't Superman or something come into the cafeteria, but you only saw him from like the neck down because obviously like Henry Cavill wasn't in it. But like, didn't they do like a a short nod, but it wasn't like they were all interconnected and you have to lay down all of these ground rules about who's connected to what and why some characters are here, but not there. Like, make it simple.
0: It's Yeah, it's exhausting. And just say, we're just not going to do that. Just Just be okay with that. And then it'd be perfect. It would just be, like I said, chef's kiss. So that's, I mean, I'm not a producer, I'm not, I'm not a director or any of that jazz, but that's that's Tactics recommendation. And they're literally seeing fatigue from the Marvel universe. And they could just go, yeah, we're not gonna do that.
2: They do have a unique opportunity here, because I feel like even though they've had all of these groundwork movies that they've already kind of laid out, and I know Black Adam just came out, but I feel like they still are in like the infancy of the DC universe here and they can kind of go wherever they want like it's still early enough i know justice league was a thing i know they tried to establish it i know that there's a lot of obviously like baggage from prior movies but i think because it's been so long and things well it's true just
0: forget about it.
2: (laughs) well no but it's been so long that i think that they can pivot and kind of take this wherever they want to go and they just need to pivot in a way that is going to appeal to people and i will say kind of on a side note I am really stoked for Henry Cavill because I feel like he said in a lot of different like interviews and stuff that he loves the character. He do- he wa- doesn't want to give up the character, and like the dude just seems like a genuine nerd in a good way. Yeah, he's nerds. he's
0: truly representing honestly for all us all of us that want to be in that type of role but can't because we're not ripped.
2: Yeah, like I'm happy for him. He, you know, he's think about it. He's embracing all of these different nerd roles. He's Superman. He's The Witcher. He's Sherlock Holmes. Way to go, Henry. You're doing great. So with that, you know, we'll have to stay tuned. We'll have to see what this means, what movies will be announced. We don't know. We're just speculating here. I'm excited, though. It could be cool. I'm excited for him at the very least getting to reprise a role that he's really into.
0: Henry, we love you.
2: And I said that we were going to talk about it later. Later is now. We're going to talk about Marvel. And they dropped the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer. And this is revisiting basically Ant-Man, the Wasp, and some fun quantum stuff that's happening here. Tectic, why don't you walk us through it as the resident comic book nerd?
0: Yeah, so the trailer opens up with them getting sucked into the quantum realm. And the first thing you'll notice, if you've watched Loki, is The quantum realm looks a lot like the location in which the TVA took place. And I don't know if they're going to draw ties to that, but first and foremost, that was the thing that really jumped out at me. That is only then soon they're confirmed when we see Kang. Now, this isn't a spoiler or anything. They show Kang very clear as day. It's not like his boot or his face. So we all know he's in there. And so that only means that that has to be in the same realm. And we're just getting a more in-depth dive of that location outside of time, so to speak. And so this looks really interesting. Not only do we get to see more into that, we'll get to learn about Kang and how he interacts beyond just what we've seen in Loki. And then on top of that, we get to see a new superhero sort of come into their own and develop. And that's really exciting.
2: I... So as you said, I'm really excited to see kind of Cassie establish herself. I believe she is a very integral part of the Young Avengers. So she will be very key, I'm assuming, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward. And I always love, you know, when they do a really good job introducing new characters without making it kind of an overt origin story. I think they've been doing a really good job of doing that lately. I know it's like hit or miss. Sometimes the character will get like a full TV show. Sometimes they're just kind of like integrated in. I don't know. I think it's cool.
0: The other thing that's cool is so far, it's it's we're getting a lot of really good representation of female heroes now. Yes. It's, it's the majority at this point with the Young Avengers, and that's fantastic. I mean, we were just inundated with... I mean, we were trying to correlate who our superhero counterparts would be based on our personalities, and you had like two options. And so to see this pivot the other way is just absolutely exciting. So keep it coming, Marvel, with all of these different superheroes that are representing all these different people. And that's fantastic because representation matters.
2: One of the other things that I was really impressed with, too, was the CGI on this seemed pretty great like i know when we first saw the trailer for she hulk as we watched the show i I changed my mind i didn't think it was that bad but i remember when we first saw the trailer for she hulk we were all like wow this looks terrible and watching this i mean a lot of this is cgi this entire trailer is obviously taking place in a completely different realm and there's a lot of characters that aren't human that are showing up and i thought the cgi looked really good and i'm very hopeful for that like this movie gave me vibes so we've had a lot of like kind of i almost feel like baby steps towards the next big storylines right in the mcu once Endgame happened like we I know, like, all of the movies and shows have been big in their own right, but in terms of the overarching stories that they're trying to tell, we're, I feel like we've only been getting small bits and pieces because they need to introduce all of these characters and lay the groundwork. This feels like a major step forward. This feels like something that's going to have big ramifications in setting up the big plot points and stories that we're going to be seeing moving forward. I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me, this feels like one of the more momentous, like, storytelling stepping stones that we've gotten in a while
0: i think this is going to be the the big step that positions kang to be the big bad in the next installment i do agree with you there however the one thing that gets me absolutely kind of i feel like it's just going to miff me in the worst way is it seems that his step to power of getting what he wants is taking advantage of the fact that scott lang has like little man syndrome And that's kind of annoying for an Avenger to just be like, hmm, no one thinks I'm cool as an Avenger. And I just, I can't get on board with that one.
2: I don't know if that's necessarily true. I feel like in practice, so like the way that they bookended this trailer, I do have to say, so they open the trailer with, you know, Scott Lang being called Spider-Man and not Ant-Man. And they kind of like end cap it with Kang acknowledging and knowing who he is and calling him Ant-Man and being like, are you going to help me, Ant-Man? And I feel like they kind of set it up that way, just as like a ha sort of thing in the trailer. But in practice, if you think about the situation that Ant-Man is finding himself in, in this trailer, you know, they're in a completely different quantum realm. And he's got his daughter there. He has his girlfriend there. He has his girlfriend's parents there. Like, I feel like it's not going to be an appeal to him just being like a little man and Kang knows who he is. Yeah, but I think like it's going to be like, hey, man, like, he's going to be thinking okay, well, if I help this guy, my daughter and everybody else that I love will help get out of this realm and back to our lives. I feel like it's going to be more like that. But in the trailer, they kind of have to appeal to you're like, haha, that was kind of funny, you know?
0: I mean, it's already on par for his character because the whole first movie he was trying to show his daughter that he can be a hero and not just a piece of garbage criminal. So for him to continuously try to seek approval, especially when we know that Hank Pym's character does make poke fun at him through all of their interactions, that it's kind of on par. So for me to expect that- You don't think that that he's
2: gotten there though? Like if you think about it, yeah, that's how the first movie started out. But if you think about actually the character arc of Ant-Man and how he's developed over the movies since he's been introduced he kind of starts out as this character who's a joke and he's just trying to prove himself but like he took on thanos he was there through the snap you know like
0: right but his personality and and development were ba- virtually stagnant through those movies he, he had he had almost no real talking roles and that's why i i can kind of see it and that's why it gets me nervous where they're gonna pull basically a chris pratt where he got upset and then thanos ended the world and that, that, I thought that was kind of weak, too.
2: I mean, I guess we'll find out. This movie is coming out fairly soon, February 17th, 2023. So we don't have a lot of time to wait to find out what is actually going to go down in this movie. I will say one last comment before we move on, unless you have something else to say, tactic. I'm really excited to see Janet Van Dyne, the character played by Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm excited to see her maybe get a little bit more fleshed out in this movie as well, because I feel like her journey... It's just really interesting. And like we kind of scratched the surface, but I feel like her character has a lot more in terms of layers and depth than we got so far.
0: Yeah, she's definitely one that I'm really excited to get further developed into. Because, yeah, like you said, they just scratch the surface. They're, the whole Scott Lang, Hank Pym, that whole arc, I feel like they just barely touch and we really need to get more into. And this is the time to do it.
2: I almost feel like, and I know that we're like... A little overwhelmed with the amount of content that MCU is giving us, but I almost feel like an Ant Man TV show would have been good, you know, having enough airtime to really flesh out, like, you think about it and maybe have the episodes be a little bit on the longer side not so much like the 28 minute side but think about how much extra time that you could give ant-man and the wasp and all of these cool characters because this entire like family paradigm of characters here is super interesting and there's a lot to dig into and i just feel like they haven't gotten individually enough time to do that
0: i 10 out of 10 would have preferred this to loki 10 out of 10 this this whole group because it's not just focused on like one person that... And yeah, we all loved Owen Wilson. That was fun. Great. But this really just needs to be dug out. I mean, Hank Pym was really the reason that Ultron was a thing. And they just wanted it with a different path when they introduced Ultron than how it happened in the comics. And it's just... It's so much more interesting. And this, there's just so much to be had there that they just have either pivoted or just haven't scratched the surface of.
2: It almost makes me wonder like and i really do like how many different diverse characters that they're introducing to the mcu and i I don't know how you flush out some of your existing characters and give them tv shows but also use the tv shows to introduce new characters but i almost feel like everybody should have gotten a tv show but then i would have been super overwhelmed so i'm not really sure yeah yep So, like we mentioned before, this is coming to theaters February 17th, 2023. Let us know what you thought about this trailer. Let us know what you think is going to happen. If Scott Lang is going to be lured by the incentive of proving himself or if he's going to be taken in by trying to help his family. Who do you think was right on that call? Let us know. And we will move on now to our What Are You Up To Wednesday segment. Tactic? What are you up to Wednesday?
0: So I've been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild lately. And I gotta say, the game gets better the more hearts you get because just coming across bad guys Mm -hmm. is a pain in the neck. But if you have enough hearts to take the hit, it's fine. Whatever. No big deal. And especially the more I start learning how to do things because my biggest critique with getting started in that game is you really don't know what the hell you're doing and how the hell to do it. Like It took me a really long time to figure out how to cook meals and all that stuff. Once I got the hang of it, it it really starts to get smooth, and I was really enjoying myself until all of a sudden, now lightning starts killing me, and this just... They they want me to just be mad at this game, and I want to like it so bad, and I'm enjoying it, but it's like, man, give me a break, Breath of the Wild. I'm trying to play you, and I'm trying to enjoy you. That's That's my overall take of that game. And then the other thing that i've been enjoying is we've had gorgeous weather and we have just been walking and taking in the view and the beautiful autumn weather
2: yeah so on the east coast in the autumn and just i mean this happens ever it's trees it's trees but they turn golden and red and just walking around outside with all those cool colors it's just so great go do it if you have fall colors fall foliage get out there enjoy it while you can because soon at least if you're in our part of the world winter will be coming and it is not gonna be fun unless you like winter but i'm not one of those people tactic any other updates you want to give us or
0: nope those are the two things that i wanted to talk about
2: all right so for me i did start playing a plague tale requiem And I haven't gotten super far in yet just because I haven't gotten enough time to sit down and play it. But so far, I am really enjoying it. I'm really excited to see where the story is going to go. You know, I had to do a refresher a little bit because I played the first one so long ago at at this point. And once I got like a refresher of what the story was... I'm just very excited to see where this goes. I know it's not a super long game. I'm probably looking at like 15 hours. So I will give you guys more of an update as I get further in. But so far, I kind of played like the intro section and it was as good as I remember the first one being. And I'm having fun. And the world is just beautiful. Like the storytelling and the world building. Like I know I've only scratched the surface of the story of this game, but even just like the aesthetics of this game, fantastic. So if you're on the fence, it's on Game Pass. If you have Xbox and you have Game Pass, you can just play it right now for free. Otherwise, you know, if you haven't played the first game, definitely go back and play that though, because you won't know what's going on. So do that. And then the other thing I want to bring up is we started watching a new show on Amazon, The Peripheral. So this is one that is very sci-fi and kind of will appeal to the gamer nerd in you. And the premise of this is, and this is based on a book as well. If you read the book so far so good but essentially you know it's the near future like 10 years from now and everybody is a little bit in tune with vr and you can make money doing tasks in vr or even like playing through games and you know testing new systems and the main character's brother gets a brand new headset doesn't have like a, the visual eye thing it just kind of taps into your neurological system it's like a brain interface and really that transports the main character into the future 70 years into the future and there's a lot of stuff that ensues it's pretty neat i don't want to give too much away because kind of the cool thing about the first couple episodes is the mystique and trying to figure out what's happening but so far it's pretty neat there's some gruesome aspects of it that i had to kind of look away there's a specific scene where i was like tactic you're just gonna have to tell me when this is over so i can look at this i stared yeah he is a weirdo and he stared right at it but it's so far it's really good i really like sci-fi fantasy stuff the you know the series is by the creators of westworld william gibson wrote the book if you like either of those things you should check this out it's on amazon the first two episodes and i believe new ones drop every friday so this is one of those ones that i probably won't give an update every week but i'll probably be like wow this is super cool and Chime in every now and then with that.
0: So, this week we are not going to be doing a quiz. We're going to start those again when illegal comes back, but we are going to take it out with a tech tip. And this week, my tech tip is the oils in your soaps make it hydrophobic. So, if you ever need a mirror in the shower and you don't want it to fog up, take a very thin layer of soap and rub it on the mirror face, and it will not fog up for your shower.
2: Will you be able to see clearly in the mirror, or will it be like weirdly soapy?
0: It'll be it, it depends on the thickness of your layer. If you do just a real thin layer, it'll be nice and clear.
2: Very cool, very interesting. Good to know. Yeah. So with that, we'll talk at you all next week.